All right, good to see everybody. Glad you are here on this incredible, incredible weekend. I love that pre-teaching. Uh, to me, it's uh, inspiring. You know, we're in this series talking about how things are written in ink. And we've been talking about how to be tattooed by different things. You know, tattoos only go skin deep. But we've been trying to talk about those things that go much deeper than the skin. That actually, the scripture says it like this, it goes to our heart. Now, as I was preparing this weekend, I was thinking, uh, our middle son, Carson, is teaching over in the student ministry. And I was watching him prepare and, and listening to what he was doing. I thought, you know what? I need to teach that. So I stole his teaching, and I'm actually going to share it with you today. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever made a bad decision? Let me see your hand. The vast majority of us. And bad decisions can either have big impacts or they can have kind of small impacts on us, right? Like, uh, you, you know, some impact our life for a long time, some maybe for a week or so. I remember when Steph, uh, uh, Steph and I, when me and my brothers were real young, I was about eight years old, 10 years old, and my mom and dad took us to the drive-in. You ever been to a drive-in? I'm not talking about the one at the swap shop, okay? I've heard that's kind of dangerous there, but uh, I'm talking about a real drive-in. So we went to a drive-in. And where the big screen is, they had like swings and slides. And so me and my brothers went out there and we're playing around. And I looked up and I thought, wow, that is huge. And I made a decision. I needed to see what was on the other side of it. You know, wonder what it looked like on the other side. So I took off running as fast as I could. And what I didn't know is that there was a cross brace about thigh high. And so as I was running, it hit me in the thigh. And so I'm kind of like to my brothers, they think I'm standing on my head because they can't see that crossbar. Well, that was like 42 years ago, and I still have a dent in my thigh from where I ran into that crossbar. In other words, I am marked by that decision. Or you could say, I've been tattooed by that decision. And all of us make decisions, and the decisions that we make have an impact. They uh, affect our life in some way. Now, I, I wanna show you kind of what that looks like, all right? So if we think about it, we all have priorities, right? The things that we value, the things that are important to us, and those priorities eventually impact the decisions that we make. In other words, we make decisions based upon what's important to us or what we value. And then as a result of our priorities that impact our decisions, eventually determine our results. And that's really where I want us to spend our time. We all have priorities, and the priorities that we have impact or determine the decisions that we make. And as a result, uh, they give us these results. Now, you can see this in the life of Paul. So if you pull out that outline that you got when you came in, I want us to look at what Paul has to say. And we're going to see this in the context of a race, all right? Look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, the only value I place on my life. Now that is a what? That's a priority statement. He's going he's gonna to tell us, here are my priorities. This is my priority. This is my one in, uh, value. He says, the only value I place on my life is that I finish the race, that I may fulfill the ministry of Jesus our King has given me, that I may gladly tell the good news of God's grace. So if you think about it, <clears throat> Paul says, my priority is to accomplish what God gave me. Right? Paul was saved or trusted Christ later in his life, and God gave him this mission. He says, that's my priority. And then if you look 
at the decisions that Paul made throughout his life, what he did with his time, what he did with his teaching, those decisions were impacted by this priority. And then in 2 Timothy, you get to the end of his life. He's in prison. He's in Rome. And Nero, right, they ever, the per Christians are under huge persecution. And look at what Paul writes. He says, it's in your outline, 2 Timothy chapter 4, the time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize, so he's talking about results. He says, the prize awaits me. He says, he told us earlier in Acts, these were my priorities, which determined my decisions. Now I'm going to give you what happened, the finish line, the end of the race. What does he say? And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So he says this principle is not something that only works for Paul. This is a principle that applies to all of our lives if we so desire. I, I, I like what Peter F. Drucker, kind of the father of management, said. He said, whenever you see successful business, someone once made a courageous decision. So whenever you see a successful business, someone made a courageous decision. Now, here's what I like about this quote. You could change business with almost anything. I mean, think about it. You could say, whenever you see a successful marriage, someone once made a courageous decision. Whenever you see a, uh, a, someone successful in their health, someone made a courageous decision. Whenever you see a successful Christ follower, someone made a courageous decision. Roy Disney, for all you Disney fans, said something very similar. When your values are clear to your, uh, when your values are clear to you, right? So he says, when you, when you know your priorities, when your values are clear to you, then decision-making becomes easy. So he basically is saying what we're looking at here. So how do we get marked by or tattooed by our, our decisions, these decisions that are a result of our priorities? Well, I, I, I'm going to give you three things real quick today and I invite you to write these down. Here's the first one, and it's really what we've been talking about. Our decisions are determined by our priorities. So I have a question for you. If our decisions are determined by our priorities, what are yours? What are your priorities? Maybe there in the margin or somewhere in that outline, you could take just a moment, because I am sure that you've given this some thought. What are your priorities? What is it that you value above everything else? You go ahead, jot down a few of your priorities. What is your major priority? What is the decision maker of decision maker in your life? Because see, whatever priorities we have, will determine the decisions we make, which ultimately will determine the direction we go in life. What finish line we cross. See, some of us are standing here and we're like, how in the world did I get here? How did I get this kind of horrible marriage? How did I end up in this crappy job? How did I end up with this terrible health? Well, I can tell you, you had the wrong priorities, which led to the wrong decisions, and as a result, you crossed the wrong finish line. It doesn't matter how hard you run. If you're running in the wrong direction, you're going to end up in the wrong place. It's not about sincerity. It's about priorities. As I was doing some research for this weekend, I found, um, found a video 
uh, news story about the Rose Bowl that took place in the late 1920s. Let's watch. Most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. In the 1929 game, Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A blocked punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regals. Wrong way, wrong way Roy Regals. That's what they called him. He got the fumble, he just went the wrong way, and his team lost the game. I mean, it had an incredible impact. Now, here's what I'm going to do this uh, over the next few moments. I'm going to be your teammate that tackles you on the one yard line, all right? Rather than allow you to cross the finish line going in the wrong direction, I'm going to challenge you to really give some thought to what your priorities are, and as a result, what finish line you will eventually cross. Now, we saw what Paul, I want us to look at Hebrews. This is one of my favorite texts in all the Bible because it compares life and living life to running a race as well. Look what it says. We're just going to look at the first three verses, okay? Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and this he's talking about in chapter 11, so if you haven't read that, I encourage you to do that sometime. He says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. And here's the part I want you to see. You might underline this in your outline. The race that God has set out before you. In other words, God has a race for all of us. You have certain skills. You have certain gifts. You have certain talents. There are things that you do better than others. There are people that you know. And so God gives us a race with the finish line. And then uh, the writer of Hebrews, either Paul or Luke, tell us that God has given us a race in which to run. And it's based upon the dream, the destiny, the purpose that he's actually put inside of our heart. He says, and we do this, verse 2, by keeping our eyes upon Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We draft behind Jesus. In other words, Jesus has already ran the race. It, you don't have to wonder, do I go left or do I go right? No, no, no. He says, how do you run this race? Well, you watch Jesus. And you step where he stepped. You get in behind him like they do in NASCAR. And you draft. And when you draft, what happens? You have less resistance. Why? Because Jesus has already ran that race. Jesus has already set the example or shown us the way. Verse 3, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Now, let's look at how Jesus taught this whole idea that our priorities determine our decisions which give us our results. And I think the best place in which to see this is Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, look at what Jesus says. These are the words of Jesus. So Jesus is teaching a lesson here. He says, wherever your treasure is. Now, what is that? That is a statement of priorities. Because what are your treasures? They're priorities. Your priorities are your treasure. You are saying, these are the things that are most important to me. This is what I am running after. This is the thing that is most important to me. Because you can only have one top priority. Now he says, wherever your treasure is, wherever your priority is, there the desires of your heart will be also. What is he saying? Those are the decisions you'll make. 
Wherever your treasure is, whatever you value, whatever is important to you, your heart, your decisions will follow it. So Jesus is saying exactly what I have up here. But then he goes on in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one, love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, he's talking about money, but you could use really any priority. I want you to think of it. What's what's Jesus teaching us? He's saying that if God is your priority, your number, because you can only have one top priority. You can't have two. That's what he's saying. He says you can't love two things equally. There is only one top priority priority. And whatever that one thing is will determine the decisions you make about everything else. If God is that priority, then the decisions you make about your sex life, about your parenting, about your money, about your time, about your gifts, about your business, if God is the priority, then it will impact these decisions, which will determine what finish line you cross. Jesus is saying, now if money is your priority, If that's your number one thing, it will determine the decisions you make. It will determine what you do with your time, how you treat your family, what you spend your resources on. It'll determine everything and therefore will determine what finish line you cross, what results you get. You could say family. If family is your top priority, then you will make all of your decisions based upon that priority. Whatever that priority is. And here's what Jesus is trying to teach us. There can't be two. Why? Because they war with one another. If money is your priority, or if family is your priority, if your business is your priority above God, it's going to take you in one direction, whereas if God is your priority, it's going to take you in another. And and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying kind of realize, because we like to believe everything can be important. We like to try to put everything. Now, he goes on in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What is that? That's a priority statement, isn't it? God says, I created you. I put a race out there in front of you. So let me tell you. Let me tell you what your priority ought to be. Seek me above everything else. Make me your top priority. And he says, if you do, if you make me your top priority, then you're going to make decisions based upon what I have to say about your love life, your money, your time, all areas of your life, which is going to determine the finish line you cross. And what is the finish line? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek me first. And then what? All these things will be added unto you. Now, don't miss what God's saying. God's saying, if you'll make me a priority, I will then add into your life your family, your dream, your destiny, your resources. But he says, if you make anything else a priority, and you know this, You see people who make their career their priority and they lose their family. You you see people who make some kind of hobby their priority and they lose their job. I mean, we know this, but that's what Jesus is teaching right here in Matthew chapter 6. Now, in uh, in my notes here, I wrote in very bright letters the word important because I think we miss this sometimes. Your priorities are what you do, not what you say you're going to do. Can I say that again? Your priorities are not what you say. In other words, you may have written down some really cool things. My wife. Did you see that, honey? My wife is my priority. God, you're in church. God is my priority. My health. Your priorities are not what you say they are. They're what you do. 
In other words, you can say health is your priority. But if you make a decision to eat the brownies, guess what? Health is not your priority. That's not what the priority of health does. It doesn't eat the brownies. It says no to the brownies. You can say health, but if you don't get up and work out, that's, that's not what the priority of health does. A lot of folks like to say God is my priority. But they're not faithful to his house. They're not serving with their gifts. That's not what the priority of God does according to Scripture. You can say your family is priority, but you're never around. Well, they're not your priority. What you do is the reality of what it is that you and I value. So like I said, there are a couple of questions. What, is the, what are those priorities? But then this is probably the most important question. Here's the way I wrote it. How do we do what we say we want to do? Right? I mean, okay, Troy, if that's true, if my priorities aren't what I say, but they are what I do, then how do I do what I say I want to? In other words, if I say that I want God to be my priority, how do I make that happen? If I say I want my family to be priority, how do I make that happen? Well, I think there's one word. And it's in the second thing that I encourage you to write down. Is that our priorities demand discipline. Our priorities demand discipline. Now, remember the Apostle Paul. We looked at the scripture where he said, my priority is to accomplish what uh, the, the task, the dream, the destiny that God's given me. Then in 2 Timothy, we looked and we saw that he crossed the finish line. He won the crown. Well, in between those two texts, we have 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at what Paul says. He says, all athletes are, what's the next word? What? Yeah, disciplined in their training. So they are disciplined in their decision making. They do it to what? Win a prize. Their priority is the trophy, the gold medal. The, the, the you know, stand on, the, on the, the step and get all the applause. That is their priority. Therefore, it affects what time they get up. It affects how much they uh, practice. It affects what they eat. It affects every area of their life so that they can accomplish their priority. And Paul says that they do that for something that's going to fade away. Okay? It, it basically, what he just said is exactly what we read um, from uh, the father of management, okay, Peter Drucker. He says, verse 26, so I run with purpose in every step. I do not just shadow box. Now, what is he saying? Paul says, I want to accomplish. My priority is to accomplish that, that God, my destiny, my dream, my purpose. He did that in 2 Timothy. Now he says, I don't shadow box. He says what? There's purpose in every step. In other words, he says, I use the tool of discipline. So that every step I take aligns with my priority. See, we have a tendency to do what? Wander through life. Right? We just kind of get up. You don't know what you're doing today, whatever happens to come up. And a day turns into a few days, which turns into a week, which turns into a month, which turns into a few years, where you just kind of wonder. Not any direction in what you're doing. Paul says, uh-uh, that's not how you succeed in life. Paul says, I'm not shadow boxing. I'm not just kind of waking up and looking around and wandering through my life. He says, no, no, no. He says, every step I take is taking me in some direction. So every step I take, I take with the tool of discipline. In other words, I discipline every step to be aligned with my priority so that with every step I'm getting closer to what? My destiny. 
my purpose. See, so many of you know why a lot of us don't succeed at life? We just run out of time. We just run out of time because we take a lot of steps in wrong directions. We're not disciplined in every decision. And we look back, we think, man, I spent all that time last year doing that. And that didn't get me any closer to the marriage that I hoped for or the financial freedom I wanted to experience or the kind of parent that I wanted to be or the kind of Christ follower that I wanted to be. Paul says, no, that's not what I do. Verse 27, he says, I discipline my body. The the word means to, to, to... subject. It carries the idea of, of to beat, and I don't mean in some crazy way. It just means that he puts his body under control. I discipline my body like an athlete, training, this is again, this idea of decision-making to do. I discipline my body to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Paul says, in other words, my fear is that I'll cross the wrong finish line. And in order to not cross the wrong, the wrong finish line, I make sure that my decisions align with my priorities. Now, again, I want you to see in the life of Jesus in our, our text in Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, these first three verses that we're studying, there's a word that's found in each verse. And I want you to see what it is. Verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by this huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with, what's the next word? Endurance. Let us run with endurance, because what is the greatest temptation (laughs) to endurance? Weariness. If you've ever ran a race, anybody here a marathon runner? One, two, three, four. All right, marathon runners. Anybody ran a mile, (laughs) right? The moment you start, what does your body say? Stop. Oh, I'm tired. I'm, I'm weary, right? Weariness is the antithesis of endurance. He says, endure. Um, Especially that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance, the race, that God has set out, the priorities that God has set out for us. Verse 2, do this by keeping your eyes on Jesus, right? We're drafting behind Jesus. He's ran the race. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he what? What's next? And what did he endure? The cross. He disciplined himself to experience the nails, the crown of thorns, the spear in the side, the cat of nine tails on his back, Despair, uh, dis- disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. What is that? It's a result. Jesus had a priority that we'll look at in a moment. He disciplined himself to endure the cross, and as a result, he sits at the right hand of the Father. Now, verse 3. Think of all the hostility he what? Endured from sinful people that you won't become weary and give up. So, Uh, you got this whole idea of endurance, of not giving up, of not quitting, of not surrendering, which, of course, is our biggest temptation. If you think about it, and now, if we think about in the context of Hebrews chapter 12, and I move this up here, you have Jesus 
who has priorities in Hebrews 12. What is his priority? It's you. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his son, where? On the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. So you have Jesus enduring the cross. And so we could think of the cross actually as discipline, right? Wasn't easy. Jesus endures the discipline in order what? To accomplish the priority. How, how, did, he, how did he do that? He did that with faith. So he looks through the cross to the priority so that that could be accomplished, that we could be reconciled to him. Endure, the cross it says. And that's the call to you and I. It is to endure the discipline. Whatever that might be, the principle is that might be the brownies, when you talk about a practical life, right? I'm going to endure the discipline of saying no to the brownies so that I can experience the, the results of what I said was the priority, which is to be healthy. Endure. It's the hardest part. To not quit, to not grow weary, to not give up. Right? How many people have given up on their marriage? Say, so, well, we fell out of love. No, 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 you stopped enduring given up on their kids, given up on their job, given up on their dream, given up on ever experiencing financial breakthrough. It reminds me, <clears throat> in Australia, and I guess in many other places, they have what they call an ultra marathon. It's a 600-mile marathon. And so in 1983, they were running this ultra marathon in Australia from Sydney to Melbourne, like I said, around 600 miles. And you had all the, you know, the people who race and run. They had their Nike shirts and their little flimsy shorts and their tennis shoes and everything. And they're getting ready to run this race. And up walks a gentleman by the name of Cliff Young. He's a potato farmer. He's wearing overalls and, you know, those big rubber boots like you wear when it's raining? He walks up to the registration table and he says, I'd like to run the race. They kind of laugh. What, what, do you, what do you mean? Oh, by the way, he was 61 years old. So, no, no, I, I'd like to. I ran a lot when I was a kid. I used to chase the sheep around, and we couldn't afford a tractor, and we couldn't afford any horses, and I, I think I can do it. Well, they let him register. They gave him a number. They put it on top of his overalls. Everybody lined up. The gun went off, and, of course, they quickly got ahead of him. You know, he, he ran funny. He kind of shuffled. And, you know, he fell way, way behind. Now, what these professional runners would do is they'd run for 18 hours and then they'd sleep for six. Run for 18 and sleep for six. And it would take them about seven days to go the 600 miles. Well, Cliff never had a coach to tell him how to run the race. He, he had never really practiced running the race. See, he didn't know you were supposed to stop and sleep. So while all the other runners stopped to sleep for six hours, Cliff just kept running. By the third day, Cliff wasn't behind anymore. Instead, he was now ahead. Come to find out, Cliff Young actually won the race. He set a world record by two days. His closest competitor was nine hours behind him. 61-year-old, he didn't wear his false teeth because he said it rattled when he ran. 61-year-old Cliff Young 
won this ultra marathon. Today they have what they call the young shuffle because what they discovered is the way in which he ran actually expended less energy. And so now some of the professional runners actually run the way he, he ran. He did it in a little over five days. They don't sleep anymore either. They run the race the, race the way Cliff did. That's exactly what this scripture is calling us to do. It's calling us to endure. It's calling us to continue to run, to not give up, to not quit, to not surrender, to not stop. That's what Paul is challenging us to do, or Luke here in the book of Hebrews. And if you look with me in Matthew chapter 16, we see how we apply this to ourselves. It says in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, if any of you wants to cross the finish line, if any of you wants to succeed at the destiny for which I created you, you must give up your own way. That's what Jesus did, right? Did Jesus want to go to the cross? No. Remember in the garden, what did Jesus pray? Father, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, man, let's do it that way. But, what did he say? Not my way. Not my way. He said, instead, by faith, believing that the cross will bring about reconciliation between God and man, I am going to do what? Not my way, but your way. I am going to discipline. I am going to go through the cross to the other side. That's, that's what he says. And how? By faith. That's what he says in, in, in Matthew. You must give up your own way. And do what? Pick up your cross and follow me. Now, just like discipline, isn't it? <laughs> to fall down. Let me see if I can put it back up there again. Dust it off. All right, stay up there. Okay? So that's what Jesus did, by faith, through discipline, to the priority. And, it, and, and, and here's the last thing I want to share with you. As a Christ follower, we don't just do it by mere will. Here's, here's what I encourage you to write down. Our discipline is strengthened by our faith in God's promise. Our, our discipline is strengthened by our faith in God's promises. Look at with me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We do this. We do what? We discipline ourselves to live our priorities so uh, to be able to accomplish our dreams. We do this by keeping our eyes upon Jesus. We draft behind him. We do what he did. Why? It says because, and here's how Jesus did this, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross Disregarding the shame because of the joy awaiting him. What was the joy that was awaiting him? Well, what's on the other side? What's the joy that allowed Jesus to say, not my will, but your will? What's, it's the priority. It's you. It's me. Jesus is here on the cross. He's yet to bring about reconciliation. But he's, he's on the cross. He's obedient to what the Father has asked him to do. Why? Because of the joy the finish line, the reconciliation of you and me unto him. And he does that how? By faith. And he calls us to run the race the same way. How do we run the race? We run the race believing 
That when we discipline, when we endure our cross, we do it how? Believing. You, you, You could not just put priorities up there. You could actually put priorities and promises. How do we do it? By faith. Have we experienced our marriage come back together yet? No. But why do we endure the pain of watching our spouse reject or push back on? Because we believe in the promise. It is our priority. Why do we not give up on our kids? And why do we endure them making bad decision after another, bringing discipline into their lives? Why? Because we believe in the promise. It says he endured the cross, but he didn't endure the cross by his will. He endured the cross by his faith in the promise of the Father. And you and I do the same. Don't give up. Why? Because of the promise. I endure the discipline strengthened by my faith in the promise. But you know what happens so many times? Is when we get to the cross, when we get to the discipline, we do what? We turn away. Oh, man, that's just too tough. We're just not in love anymore. You know what? That's never going to happen. I'll never have financial breakthrough. I'll never... You always have reasons. If you go to Numbers chapter 14, you might remember the story of the people of God. Remember what God told them in Egypt when they were in bondage? He said, I'm going to take you to the promised land. Remember what the promised land is? We talked about it last week. It is your destiny, your purpose. It's John 10.10, the abundant life, your success, your dream. God says, I'm going to take you there. He took them across the Red Sea, defeated the Egyptian army, and they get to the edge of the promised land. They send in 12 spies, 10 come back and say, there's no way, there's no way we can do it. It's too big a cross. There are giants in the land and our kids are going to be killed and we're going to be enslaved. There's no way we cannot endure that cross. And they chose not to. Remember what God did? When they turned their back on their faith and they walked away, God said, for 40 years you will now wonder. The generation that was unwilling to endure, would never experience the promise. Now, there's a part of the story maybe you have forgotten. If you read the very next paragraph, you know what happened to these folks who turned their back on the faith the very next day? They changed their mind. They went to Moses, and they said, you know what, Moses, we can endure. We can cross the Jordan River. We can go into the promised land. We, we believe it's been our priority. It's the reason we endured suffering in Egypt. It's the reason that we believe God to cross the Red Sea. And, and it's the reason that we find our, we, we, we can do it. And Moses says, no, no, no. You've already turned your back on it. God says, you're going to wonder. If you read the, the, the text, they're like, no, 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 no. And they go anyways. And you know what happens as a result? The Bible says that all the Amalites and the Canaanites and all the Ite families, they come and they actually chase them back down the hill and many of them lose their life. They never actually went to the promised land for one simple reason, because they turned their back when when they got to the cross, when they got to the enduring part, when they got to the challenge, when they got to the need for discipline. And if you go to Hebrews chapter 6, you know what I believe you will find? You will find you will find where the writer of Hebrews actually applies the text of Numbers 14 to you and I today. And what he says is that he says that you and I often find ourselves, we're living by faith, we're believing God for promises in our family and in our finances and in our eternity, and then we get to the cross. 
Then we get to the enduring part. Then we get to the challenging part. Then we get to the sacrifice part. We get to the serving part. And you know what so many of us do? We walk away. Turn our back on it. Oh, I can't do that. I can't serve like that. I can't give like that. I, 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 I can't do that. And you know what Hebrews 6 says? That you'll spend the rest of your life wondering short of your dream. And if you read Hebrews 6, it says that you will not be permitted. Just like, the, just like the people of God, you will not be permitted into your dream. That's hard for me as a pastor. Because I know that it's weekends like this where we all stand in some way or another at the Jordan River. We all stand at, because I have challenged you to step out in faith in an area in which we all have treasure. We all have a priority. I want to end our time by talking about this weekend, the Temple Centurion. And I, I want to compare it to what we've talked about. I want to apply it to this principle we've learned. And uh, alongside an offering that Paul received. Okay, Paul received an offering in 2 Corinthians for the church in Jerusalem. And I want to apply what we've learned to his offering and to ours. The first thing that I want us to see is the priority of Paul's offering. I put the scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, I, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem. For I know how eager you are to help. So, so what was the priority of Paul? of the offering Paul was about to receive to help the people in Jerusalem. That was the priority. We're going to help the people in Jerusalem. That, that was the priority because they were being persecuted and they were struggling financially. He says, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you in Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. So there, there, Paul says, I'm going to send somebody down just to make sure you're ready. Just to make sure everything is in order so that when we come to receive the offering, we're not embarrassed so that we can take it and actually help the people in Jerusalem. That is the priority. Well, I got to thinking, what is our priority? Why is it that we are receiving a Temple Centurion offering? Why are we starting this new season? Well, our priority is actually the same. If you think about it, it's to help people. It's to help those who walk into our campuses, see it happen all the time. They come and they sit down in their chair much like you are. Often it's a husband and a wife, but it's a husband and wife who are no longer getting along together. The husband only comes because the wife is asked and asked and asked, and the husband's afraid if they don't come, you know, they just don't want to deal with it. So they show up, and they cross their arms, they sit there the whole time hoping, you know, not to hear anything, looking at their watch, when will it be over? But God knows where they're sitting, and somehow, I don't know how, he finds where they're sitting, and he begins to grab a hold of their heart. He begins to speak into their life, and over time, a softening happens. And these two people who thought that they had fallen out of love, 
love instead begin to reconcile, begin to once again have passion and sacrifice and love and care for one another. God has literally done the miraculous in the life of these two normal, regular people. But it's not just their life that is impacted, it's their kid's life. It's those children who late at night had shut their door scared because they hear mom and dad always arguing and they're wondering you know, whether or not it's going to end in some kind of divorce and who are they going to have to live with and what is their life going to be like. They no longer have those fears. Why? Because God found them sitting in a chair much like you are today and he radically transformed their life. That, that's, it is that priority that causes us to make the sacrifice to give our resources. But it's also the person who struggles with addiction, who goes to bed every night saying, I'll never do that again, only to wake up in the morning with this insatiable hunger to do the very thing they promised they wouldn't do anymore. They know that it brings destruction up in their life, but they don't know how to make it stop or to make it quit. And the reality is that there's only one thing that can do that, and it's the transforming power of Christ. That's why we give. It's for the person that's homeless, who's lost everything. Oh, there have been people who have helped them before, but not people who look past the dirt that's on their face into their heart and realize that they have value, that they were created by God to do something of significance, and that if they are partnered with, they can become that for which God dreamed of them being when he knit them together in their mother's womb. That's, that's our priority, most importantly. It's about the eternity, the, the transformation of people's lives. When God comes in and he takes our, our screw-ups that we all have, our sin, our missing the bullseye of perfection, and he does what? He puts them on the cross. And we get what? We get his righteousness. We're not just helping people for today, but that's an eternal help in the lives of people. So just like Paul, our priority is to help. Well, look at the discipline, 2 Corinthians 9. He says, but I want it to be a willing gift, not one given begrudgingly. Remember this, a farmer who plants a few seeds will get a small crop. What's Paul talking about? He's not talking about farming. He's talking about giving. He says that our giving has some kind of impact on our, on our blessing or our receiving. He says, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives, gives cheerfully. So, so, so what is the, the discipline, right? It's, it's when we find ourselves here. When we find ourselves, because to be honest, right, is it ever easy to give? To take that that you've worked so hard for out of your wallet? or out of your bank account and put it in the bucket? Because once it's in the bucket, it's gone. You still have bills to pay, kids to send to college. You still have all of that weight. You still have all of that responsibility. So how do you do that? Well, the same way Jesus did. It's by faith. It's believing in the promise. That the same way in which we give, so do we also receive, that we read. It's the same way they gave uh, in the church there in Corinth or in Macedonia or in lower Asia. Same way. 
Same way in which Jesus gave his life. The same way in which Paul preached the gospel. We walk by what? By faith, not by sight. We have yet to attain, and yet we discipline. Why? Because of our faith in attaining, in experience, in walking in God's, God's promise. And I can show it to you. That potential, I, 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 was, thinking about, I was thinking about this. Our, our goal is, is 500,000. It's the same as, as what we gave last year um, to accomplish, you know, like we talked about with the, the college and the students and new media and launching campuses so that people can be helped, not just in one place, but in many places. And we've talked about that. My prayer that I've been praying for years ago, when we first came into this building, there was a couple of thousand people who came here. And we gave our largest offering that had ever been given, which is $750,000. My prayer is to surpass that. I was talking with Pastor Matt, and I was thinking about, well, I wonder what happens and has happened in the lives of the people who gave that offering that weekend. I know what's happened in Stephanie's life. The next day, we didn't get a big check. We didn't get a new car, you know, or a boat, or nothing like that happened. I know that, like Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need, that God is taking care of us. I do know in the life of the church that it was after that offering that we launched our campuses, that we started the, the, the television, that the church really began to grow. I, I do think that when we're willing, by faith, to endure, well, the scripture says, look with me. What is the promise? Well, again, it's this same passage, 2 Corinthians 9, and God will generously provide, what's the next word? All. All you, that's you and me, need. Then you will always have everything you need. That releases a lot of anxiety, doesn't it? If that's true. I mean, if you can trust the scripture, you will always have everything you need. And it says plenty left over to share with others. Not just all you need, but like with the fish and chip day that Jesus talked about, plenty left over. In the same way, he will provide an, and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You will not only experience generosity, you will become generous. You will be transformed on the inside. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And then he says, when we take your gifts to those in, who need them, they will thank God. So he says, two good things will result from your ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. So the priority will happen and will the promise. People will be helped and you and I will be blessed. Verse 15, Paul says, and this is my prayer for next weekend. Thank God for this gift. It's too wonderful for words. Paul went around to all of these churches. He received these offerings and then he went to Jerusalem. And he says, I was blown away. 
Now, in order to prepare them, Paul did what we've done for the last five weeks. He says, I'm going to send someone down there. He says, I know you say you're excited, but he says, I'm going to send someone down there. And for the last five weeks, we've been challenging you to, to prepare an opportunity. An opportunity to grow or be transformed. There's no doubt that for everyone who calls themselves a Christ follower, it is a moment of decision, isn't it? I mean, it is that moment where we determine whether or not we believe the scripture to be true or not, whether it's full of good ideas or it's actually God-breathed. Because if it's God-breathed, there's an incredible promise on the other side. But you have to do it by faith. We walk by faith by sight the experience is on the other side of the endurance and so I, I want to give us an opportunity uh, invite all of us I guess is to take the offering that you were given and uh, you know fill it out do all whatever you've already done place your offering in there if you've given online or in some other way I still would love for you to be able to participate is to, t is to take it and place it at the cross because it is a sacrifice. But at each of the crosses, there is a, a pen. And um, I want you to write on the cross, if, if you'd like, what it is that we're, what the, the, the priority. We're not paying God to get something. We're enduring we're trusting in order to experience. What is that priority? Maybe it's a name of a friend, somebody you want to see come to Christ. Maybe it is what you want God to do in your life. I, I, I don't know, but you do. You know what you want to be the priority of your life, not just say that it is. Maybe you can jot that down on the cross. We've got crosses throughout the auditorium. We have one up here on the platform. You can use it as well. Would you bow your head? I'm going to pray for us. There's a cross up in the balcony as well. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to worship and as we do it's an opportunity for you to bring to God that which he has nudged your heart to give. Father we come by faith For many of us, it's a, it's a giant step. So many times we've gotten to this point in our life and we've, we've turned around. We've been unable to trust you this far. But today, we go, we, like Paul said, we are crucified with you. We endure. We walk through the cross to experience the promise in which you have given us in your word. We give believing that lives will be impacted and that we will be blessed. We give in faith that we might help the world, help people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Let's stand and let's respond to what God's asked us to do.